Sorry, we're closed. We're back. And we talked about this last night, Sean, so I'm just going to get right into the, the nuts and bolts, and hopefully it starts spurs a conversation between us. Uh, but uh, I was it's funny because we were talking about the Gary V stuff, it's stupid until it's not thing. Right. And uh, I, what's interesting, who reminded me of this, and is not in any way trying to shit on this man, <laughs> but it's, it's, his, this guy follows the same philosophy that we do, uh, it's, it, I was going on Twitter and I saw a Kevin Tarka tweet, mm. and he's this, you know that guy puts himself out there a ton, um, and if you just if you just slapped his tweets onto Gary V's page, people would be like, yeah, dude, I honestly right. think that's wild. Is that I mean that is crazy? Like they all everybody's saying the same stuff, but Gary V says it, and everyone's like flips. Yep, yep. A lot of it, I think, I think a lot of it has to do with credibility. Like you're, you're like, what have you done to tell me what to do? That's kind of the Alex Termozzi thing where he's just like, everybody, everybody wants to skip to the, like the being the guru part, but they forgot about building like their credibility first. Yeah. It makes sense though, because you know, when you're listening to somebody, I mean, the first thing you do is you, you, what, okay, what have you done? You know, when you're talking about, you know, you know, coaches like, well, who have you coached before? When I, you know, when I had, when I was at Monmouth, uh, I went there for three years, uh, became a first round draft pick, and my pitching coach had also only been there for three years uh, because he came in when I was a freshman, and he leveraged me into going into. I think he went to Maryland first, then he went to Kentucky, Florida State. Like the guy is, you know, I think he's at Clemson now. So like he completely leveraged what I had done. I was one of his references. They called me for the Kentucky job and the Maryland job, and it was it was interesting. I mean, the guy did play at Louisville, so he had some baseball you know background and stuff like that. But it was it, that's it's what have you done? Like wh- why why are you here? Why am I listening to you? And like, Tony Robbins has nailed it, right? But if yeah. you look back at Tony Robbins's videos in the beginning, he kind of looks like a loser. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, he absolutely, he absolutely was. And this was something. Speaking of that, like I remember, I remember the, uh, I remember you saying this a lot too. And I remember this coming up a lot in the in the minor league system. And side note, this is actually something that I talked about a lot on Tim Timmy D's podcast, the Basketball Strong podcast. If you want to deep dive into strength and conditioning for professional sports, you guys should go check out that podcast. It just it just dropped like yesterday. It's like an hour and change of like really diving into like some of the stuff we do with NBA guys and stuff like that. So definitely go check it out the Basketball Strong podcast. Uh, but aside from that, like, do you remember like like all of the uh, all of the like the players being like, well, I can't listen to like look at this guy who's my hitting coach here. You know, he was been as high as single A. And we're in double A right now, so this guy's already like out kicking his coverage here on like what, like how do you know that's the way to get to the big leagues? You know what I mean? And like I remember we had we had Mark Grace as our hitting coach in Oregon in Hillsboro, uh, and whatever he said was gospel uh, because he played in the big leagues for like fifteen years. And what was interesting was he said the least out of any of them. Like he just kind of let you do your thing, which. You know, it can speak to a lot of different things as well, but it, you're, that's exactly what that is. And it's hard to take advice from somebody who's never, who's never been to the mountaintop, uh, because how do you know that's the way to get there? 
Yeah, I listen, and we can do a deeper dive into that because I remember our pitching coordinator in Boston, a guy named Ralph Truel. I actually really liked him. I thought he he you could fuck with him a little bit. Like he was an older guy, but like he was he was a cool enough guy. But like he never made it to the big leagues. The best, the most he was in the big leagues, I think, was as a bullpen coach. And I mean, let's let's talk a little bit further about, you know, you know, you know Mark Grace not really saying much, kind of let you doing your thing. But the guy that you know never made it past Double A would start you know was you know let's do this let's do that let's craft this you know all this stuff let's just talk about my own career when I was great I wasn't fucking thinking about anything and then all of a sudden as things started going the, the wheels started coming off you know it was try you know it was try this it was try that it was try to figure out this it was try to figure out that let's keep my shoulder in let's keep my shoulder out let's do my hip you know all of a sudden you're thinking about all this crazy shit. And, you know, they, you know, of course, you know, big leaguers and, and things like that, the people that are, that are very successful have their little ticks that they like and all that stuff. But it never gets crazy. Like, it never goes, you know, you know, insane where we're, we're looking at, you know, everything and, and trying to find, you know, why you thought about that in the, in the, with two outs and, you know, one and two count, you know, two man on second and third. You just didn't think about that stuff. You just you just were, you you just were good. That's why you did things, and you're like, okay, well, you have a little tit to get you back whenever you need to get back. But like, you were just good. There was no a thousand different things as to what needed to happen to be good, and especially in baseball. I mean, I don't know how much you saw it in basketball, but the the superstitions in baseball were outrageous. Yeah, I mean, baseball's known for that. Yes. I, the NBA. Honestly, I can't. I know guys like like I got to get my work. I do these particular things, but baseball is. I mean, guys are like walking through the clubhouse in the same in the same manner. Uh, you know, they they come in and they put the same TV tape on, and they you know, uh, like yeah, baseball baseball is like that. It's a it's just sat on steroids. Yeah. So, I mean, it is it, those types of things when you're talking about you know, being good or or you know listening to people. You, know, you always look back at their resume and what they've done and why you should listen to them. And it's just human nature, I think, to kind of you know, vet people or at least try to vet people before taking their, their advice on where you want to go. You know, well, you I know. actually don't think it's human nature. I think it's more, more natural when you get up into the professional ranks because you're dealing with a different type of person there. Like I remember... I remember in uh, like like from strength and conditioning perspective, from like coaching, when we when I was in college, you know, and I know your your position in college was a little different, but you know, coming from playing college hoops, like our strength coach was the dictator, like he was the he was the he was the freaking boss, you know, like he ran the freaking show. You don't tell him no, and if you tell him no, all all hell will break loose. Uh, and you know that's the idea of strength and conditioning. But when you go into into the pros, like that is a completely different ball game. Because I remember interviewing with the Mets, and they're, they're, the guy interviewing me asked me, he's like, "What happens if you tell a guy to do something, and he tells you to fuck off?" Uh, and I was like, "I was like, damn." I was like, uh, "Well, you know, I, you know, I'll try to talk to him and try to figure out where he's coming from, like, and, and you know, tell him that you know he's got this opportunity here to be in a professional athlete, and make it to the big leagues, and and how cool it is, and try to remind him of that." And he's like, "Yeah, you don't absolutely never, not even a single time would you ever do that." 
Um, just let just let him go, let him do his thing, let him cool down, and see if we can get him back tomorrow. I said, all right, I guess I guess I guess that's cool. But in the pros, that's such a common deal, and I don't think the general public necessarily understands that or has even really maybe thought about that. Is that you're dealing with grown men who have their routines and have their things that work for them, and they will tell you no, and that is a thing that all strength, like all strength and conditioning coaches at the professional level, like laugh about that. We're like, yeah, like what's it like over there? And they start telling these crazy stories. I remember seeing Kevin Love, like get into it with his strength coach in Cleveland, uh, and it's normal. Like that's not weird. That's not that's not like holy shit. Like this guy's a nutbag. Like this is what it's like at the pro level. So I think what I think. It's not natural to be that way, but in the in the in professional sports, it is normal there. But that's such a small percentage of like humans. Yeah, I mean, the when you're when you're going like going back at a strength coach and things like that, especially at the pro level, you know, you just and I think I told you this early on that you just don't like. And I I definitely told you this like you were, you were talking about like talking to guys early on in their careers stuff like that like people have like their dreams that they're 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 that they're trying to accomplish here and if they don't think that you can get them there what you're doing is going to get them there, they're not going to listen the other thing that people don't realize is in the pro level you can pretty much do whatever the fuck you want as long as you're successful like the moment though you're taking a risk the moment you're not successful they're taking it back to what they what they want you to do and it, it becomes it becomes a stressful life you know, when I was pitching for the Pirates, even talk about success, I was pretty successful when I decided to only throw splitters. Like I was, I, my fastball command was gone. But if I found myself in a position where the fat, where the fastball went, didn't matter, I could locate it. So it was, it was a complete mind fuck. But if I found out where, if I, if I get to an O2 count and I want to do like fastball away, I could throw it hard and locate it. And it was all because, you know, I was, you know, my, I was, a, I was a mind fuck at the time. So, but I was successful once I, I looked at statistics, which the pirates were big on. I saw that the splitters were getting people out like 80% of the time. It was outrageous. Like guys were, guys were hitting like 063 against them. And I was like, why am I not just throwing this all the time? And so I started doing it and the pirates would have none of it. And then when I got finally got DFA'd and traded over to the Mariners, the GM of the Pirates, who's no longer the GM of the Pirates, probably for a reason, but uh, no longer the GM for the Pirates, he called me. He's like, I really hope you, f- you start using your fastball more again. And I was like, well, you know, if you just realized I didn't have a fucking fastball unless I got myself into re- real counts, you would have just let this go. Like, if, you, uh, if you're a real mental skills coach, you, you really got to tell me, like, looking back, I would be if I, you know, knowing a little bit about mental skills, you look at me and be like, okay, listen, he's locating his fastball only in O two and one two counts. He can't do it anywhere anywhere else. So he's clearly trying to find that again. Let him do this and see if he can find confidence in in it again. And not to mention, he's being successful right now. So let him go. Like, let him try. And who knows? Back in the day, you, he might have said that, and the GM would be like, I don't give a fuck about this mental skills coach and what he's telling me. That could have happened. That certainly is a possibility. But, you know, you look back on a lot of the stuff that happened in, in my baseball career. And I, like I said, I used to used to have like a, a little bit of a – I was a little bit upset about like how some of the coaches handled me and how I thought I might not have been this bad if, if they didn't handle me, if I ran to a different coach. And some of my teammates think the same. 
But looking back, like I still believe that you know the mental wires weren't all there, and that's why it wasn't super successful. Like you know, a lot of guys come through these coaches and are just like, okay, bud, and just move on. I wasn't there. I didn't have that you know mental capability to do that. So I don't. I didn't. You know, just wasn't wasn't in the cards for me. So I'm okay with that. I definitely think it's part of the skill set. Like no doubt to be like having the the wires organized in the right way. And then there's you know there's just sheer luck. Like you getting picked up by the Pirates versus, you know, the freaking Cubs or something where you would have been around different coaches. The other thing I remember is, you know, I remember one particular hitting coach that we had who was like a, absolutely massively guilty of this when like the hitting coordinator would come into town or the farm director and all of a sudden he is like hop skipping all over the place. Like everybody's doing drills. He's coaching everything up very detailed you know, he's got these guys like hands on the on the hitters as they're like, you know, you got to throw your hands at the ball and and stuff like that. And, you know, like, again, same kind of deal. It's like you have some guys who are going to be like, dude, shut up. Uh, and then you have the guys on the bottom end who really don't have a choice. They're going to listen because that's what how they're hanging on is being a good clubhouse guy or, you know, being, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hang out. I need help here with my hitting. So I'm just going to go with this and. Uh, and this guy, this guy isn't coaching. He is trying to look good for his boss. And that's where it like comes back to Mark Grace, where it's like, this guy doesn't care at all what the hitting coordinator thinks. Like the hitting coordinator wants to know what Mark Grace thinks of his hitting coordinating. And like, I think when you get to that level of confidence, I think that's a huge deal when it comes to coaching is, you know, are you coaching or are you, you know, or is your ego at play here? Are you trying to look good for somebody? And uh, and everybody used to say, I remember I remember all the players would be like, yo, Gracie is going to make an incredible big league hitting coach. And I would be like, oh, why? Does he like have like really sick insight? And they would be like, no, it's because he doesn't say anything. He just lets you, it's just like, he just cheers you on and says, good job. And, you know, throws you a bone every once in a while. But, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's it. And, you know, I, there's just so many layers. And I, I remember our parents talking about this where it was like, you know, you kept thinking like, we're at, you know, we're in middle school. You know, the high school coaches, are going to be no nonsense, no political stuff, no BS. They're going to have it figured out. And then you get to high school and you're like, holy shit, like that's not even close. You get to college. I mean, these guys are these guys are professionals. This is what they do for a living. They're going to have it figured out. Not even close. And then you just go up double A, triple A, you know, all the way up to the big leagues. And, and nobody's got it figured out. It's all political. It's all, you know, there's all sorts of different motivations and egos and uh, and things at play. And, and who's got the most money and who's, you know, who, you know, who are we looking at? What's the strategies? I saw, I man, I dealt with all sorts of crazy, like, front office stuff in terms of, like, working with guys, what I was supposed to do. You know, there were some times where a guy would get word that they, they were thinking about releasing a guy. So I, they wouldn't let me work with him just in case he got injured in the weight room and they couldn't release him and they had to keep paying him. It's crazy stuff. But that's, you know, there's so many different intricacies at that level. And it's not just about baseball and getting the best coaches and doing the right thing. It's we're humans and that's just how the game is played. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I remember when, when we got when I got drafted in the first round, I was eventually signed with Scott Boris and they told me to not worry about making the big leagues. And I said, well, that seems like counterintuitive. It seems that's kind of where I'm trying to do. It's pretty much the only thing I'm worried about. And they said to not worry about making the big leagues because you're pretty much have already made it because you're a first-round draft pick. And I said, how does that work? And they said, typically speaking, it is very difficult as a first-round draft pick to not make the big leagues because if you don't make the big leagues, they did a bad job drafting you, and they don't want to look like they did a bad job drafting you. 
So at the very least, to make themselves look better, you will step foot on a big league field. And I was like, well, I'll be damned. <laughs> Say no more, Scott. Say no more, Scott. And I'm like, yeah, that is unbelievable. Like, it's it really, from the first moment you step foot in pro ball, you find out this is a business. This is how they're running this business. And now, as Business Pat... I certainly understand it. Like I get get more of it now than I did then. Like obviously at that time I just kind of understood the whole like well I got more money than this guy so they're probably going to favor me more than they're going to favor him. I get that. But you talk about the politics of it. You talk about, you know, when I got it after my 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 brutal game against the Angels getting called into the into the manager's office with with just Dave Dombrowski, John Farrell, and Mike Hazen and not my pitching coach and which is completely out of the ordinary and John Farrell kind of ripping into me. And being like, now looking back at it, I was like, oh, the guy was probably trying to save his job, make himself look good, make sure you know, yeah. you know, you're t- coming down tough on a rookie and stuff like that. I'm like, all right, I, I think John's a very nice man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I got no issues with John. I mean, I, he actually ran into a friend of ours, Sean. He ran into Kevin Belby a couple years back, and was like, <laughs> oh, please tell Pat I said hello, like all this stuff, and like, <laughs> like I, but I, I think I think Mom will never forgive him. I think Mom thinks he's, no, he's Mom Satan. Has no chance. Yeah, uh, right up there with Wiz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but like, I always thought John was a really nice guy. I thought he, he he was a nice guy. I don't know that he was he was great for the manager role. I think uh, at least it, once that dynamic shifted in in the clubhouse. But I mean, you, you can't blame him for that. I mean, you talk about Terry Francona. If you ever read Terry Francona's book, he said the moment that Veritech left, he lost the clubhouse. And he had to move on. But he's been a great manager elsewhere for years. So, like, you just don't know. Like, you can't really I – don't, I don't think John Farrell was a bad manager. I think John Farrell was a bad manager for the team that, he, that was assembled. I don't think it, it worked for that, that, those bunch of guys. Uh, but uh, I don't even know where the hell I was going with that. But <laughs> Well, that's pro sports, though. I mean, truly. Like, you see like, – like Bill, Bill Belichick – up there in in uh, in New England, you know everybody. Everyone was like, "Well, you don't have Brady anymore. Of course, you're not going to be as good." Greg Popovich, like legendary all-time wins leader. San Antonio sucks now that Ginobili and Parker and Duncan and Robinson and all those guys are in Kawhi are all gone. And it's it's you know it's it's why Phil Jackson never never coached a team where he didn't have the freaking guys is because you just have to you have to be able to do that and it's. You know, you take you take Nick Saban and you put him at Bowling Green, and Bowling Greens—they're going to be better. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> uh, but it's not—they're not going to be competing for national championships. Uh, you know, it's—it's it's, you know, you have to have the players. You have to be able to. You have to have the right situations when certain guys leave. It's a problem. There's a lot of like glue guys in clubhouses that really, really matter. I remember there was a guy, uh, Willie Bloomquist. Uh, who was like a real glue guy for the Diamondbacks when I got there? It's probably why they only finished twenty games below five hundred. I mean, without him, it would have been it would have been thirty. Uh, but those those guys just exist, and 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 it's that's. I honestly, I think that that is. I think that that was one of the most interesting parts of working in professional sports is just seeing those little things happen, especially in the minor leagues, because there's so many things at play, and there's so many. People, so many moving parts and egos that are involved at each level, uh, at each in each little department. I mean, I used to think about that with strength and conditioning coaches, where, and I think this is why I was able to move through the strength industry so quickly, was because all of the other coaches were coaching, like for themselves. Like they would, 
they would, you know, they would schedule their lifts when they wanted to go. Uh, they would, you know, do exercises that made them look cool on Twitter. Uh, they would do like big, like deadlifts and stuff. And I was just sitting over there. I had you, which was really helpful because you would just kind of tell me, you would kind of tell me like what, you know, the kind of the ins and outs of baseball. But I also just knew that you didn't do any of that stuff and threw 102 miles an hour. And I would just sit there and look at these guys and be like, I don't think that matters. And I remember thinking all the time, like, what if I, if I just didn't show up, would anything change? I was like, I'm pretty sure these guys would, like, they wouldn't miss a beat. It would be like, oh, where's Sean? That's weird. I remember I heard the story when I got fired from the Lakers. Larry Nance, like, walked into the weight room the next day. And he's like, where's Sean? <laughs> and, and they were like, he got fired. He was like, he got fired? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, like, they had this, like, other guy who was, like, filling in for, like, on, on, a, on a part-time basis. And uh, they just went and, you know, they did their workout and slowly it became like not weird that I wasn't there anymore. And Larry Nance is having a very successful career uh, without me. And of course, like I don't, I, I don't, although he's a big testimonial, the first testimonial on my website, uh, I know that he would be just fine and is just fine without my expertise in strength and conditioning. Yeah. I, and that's, that's, that's something that I think, I'll, you know, it's egos when you talk about that stuff. You know, it's, you know, why are you this good? I mean, when we were coming up through baseball, I remember all the you know, you had the agents, or at least my agent, would talk to me. He was like, you got to be careful sometimes with something what these coaches try to get you to do because they're all trying to put their stamp on a first-round draft pick and say he's got to the big leagues because of me and this is why I should be promoted. And, you know, there's – it's, again, a, a business that – a lot of the stuff behind the scenes that people don't understand. Actually, I'm, I'm going to – um an audition today for MLB Network, and one of the things they're asking me is what what is the weirdest you know major league or minor league story that I have, and I was actually going to give a story that was not it was weird to me, and I thought it'd be weird to people outside of baseball because they didn't realize it. It's not the type of story they're looking for, so I'm not gonna I wasn't I'm not giving it, but like it was talking about how I remember in AAA where we had a we all of a sudden the game ended and we had a six hour drive to Buffalo at night. At like 11 p.m., and we're sitting there, and I'm like, "Why aren't we getting ready?" And or why aren't we leaving? And someone would be like, "Oh, what's his face just came into the clubhouse and said that we have to wait until the big league game's over because it's it's it, it they've used a lot of pitchers and we're they're looking to go in extra innings and we got to make sure that someone is available to go up." And I'm like, "You gotta be fucking kidding me! I gotta sit here because I knew it wasn't me, so I was like, I gotta sit here for however long." make this bus ride even more miserable than wait for this? And I was like, that's something I just don't think people understand. You know, when they go watch a triple A baseball game, they don't understand that we didn't get to, we our game ended. We didn't get to leave we didn't it wasn't like we got in at ten PM the next that night. You know, we got in at six AM and, you know, try to get you know a couple hours of sleep in and just show up to the field and and, and play that day. And you, you actually kinda get used to it, which is interesting. But it's just that was it's a, that's weird to me that we're doing this, and I think it's weird to a lot of people. I think there's a lot that goes on behind baseball uh, that I don't think uh, people understand. That was the other one of the other questions they asked me on this on this audition for today is, do you what is like a, like a movie you'd like to see from a baseball story? And I was like, it's not even a movie. I'd love to see. I'd love to have people get like a, ne- a Netflix docu series or a reality show, but that's kind of what Netflix docu series are now. Uh, and take and follow a, like a, a guy from the draft into the big leagues, and you can even take him into the big leagues. But you'd see all these guys come in and out of his life, 
all these guys get released, not get released. You know, the trial, you know, the trials yeah, that they go. That's through. crazy, man. That's really like crazy. All, yeah, like all this stuff. Like you know, I you know when I came in, you know, me and me and BJ not liking each other at first, and then be, you know Mike Agliera, who was a mutual friend, said you know he because he was getting promoted to Salem right out of the gate, and looking back, it's now oh he it's because he was older, and they didn't care as much about him. And he had good control. He like he he could handle that scene yet, but they didn't want me and BJ to do it yet because they didn't know if we were ready yet. But we looked at it at that time as, oh my God, this guy's on the fast track to the big leagues, having no yeah. clue what it actually meant. But then he made us group together. We ended up becoming best friends, you know, and we've been friends ever since. But then you see him get to Portland, and then me and BJ get to Portland, and then me and BJ go to AAA. Mike stay back. And Mike ended up getting released, and Mike going into a new life and, and, and doing all that stuff. But there's thousands of those. I mean, Cody Kukuk, you know, be, being a lefty, throwing 100 with nasty stuff. Like, all he has to do is find the zone even a little bit, and he could be a huge big leaguer. And then we, we, we go to, you know, see each other, guys, enjoy your offseason, blah, 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 come back, Cody's in jail. Jesus, and it's like you see all these crazy little stories play out, all these hometown heroes, and all their stories yeah. play out. And I think it would be an unbelievable Netflix series, docu series, to kind of watch that. Now it'd be an unbelievable distraction. <laughs> <laughs> In a minor league clubhouse, minor league having league. Netflix follow you around. Yeah, and like the guy that they are following around, <laughs> holy shit, does his head get big? Yeah. But. It, but it would be a guy. really intriguing story to watch us and watch like, again the trials and tribulations you go through as a minor league baseball player, the highs, the lows, you know, watching you know in I, in Zebulon, North Carolina, watching yeah. where I have no idea where the hell that is, but watching the July Fourth fireworks with beans, yeah. like like a plate of beans and some <laughs> mystery meat. <laughs> and, from the freaking concession stands. Yeah, and and from a clubhouse in in right field, which is really just a barn they converted into something. Yeah. And you're just and like like that is this life that, that I think people you know, they don't they just come to the game, they see the players and like, oh they live that's sick. They I think the minor leagues is is a fascinating a fascinating world. Especially like you said, like being in these random like really, really random towns in America, and you get these these people come out to the games and like the like these weird little interactions with fans. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, one of the things that you said for sure, like I, the, like the most like nostalgic thing about the miners is 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 those fireworks on Friday and uh, Friday and Saturday every single day, every single week throughout the year. Uh, and you know, just sitting down there, and oh, you would say Zebulon, Zebulon. I was in Clinton, Iowa, just you know, watching these fireworks go off, and we'd always like see like, oh, who's got the best firework display? And I used to bring like the bands down, let the guys do some work on the field during the fireworks. And uh, I mean, and I'll, I'll tell you for real, it's one of the things I really was really sucks was watching the guys get released, and I would always know a little bit in advance that they were going to get released, and. You just like it was so sad because you it wasn't like you know getting fired from your job like that's one thing that sucks but these are this is you're getting fired from your job and you were also going to rip away your childhood dream and it happens four times a week <laughs> and it is you know it is and I'm at Diamondbacks I don't know if any teams you worked for or you played for did this but the Diamondbacks in spring training 
the way they would release you, this was brutal. This was brutal. Uh, they would, you would come to the come to the facility, and you go to your locker, and they would have had take they take the, or your, all of your stuff had been removed, uh, name played off. All of your stuff is in a garbage bag. You had to go down to the clubhouse manager to get your stuff, and then go to, uh, you know, go see Mike Bell, who was our farm director, uh, and he would release you, and you just I can't I can't imagine the sinking feeling of walking into that clubhouse to see if your stuff was gone. And some of the guys who would probably show up every day in bated breath, wondering if their stuff would be there. I, I thought that was tough, man. Yeah, like somebody sent a text or something, let them know that, hey, they're taking your stuff out of your locker, just so you know. Yeah, that is that is, that is, uh, that is difficult. I, the thing that also you talk about with the release game is the how releases change as you get older and get and get more into the into the baseball world like in the beginning uh baseball is just you know when you get released in the beginning like you said it's 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 dreams you're taking dreams away and people are crying uh, the amount of yep. grown men a lot of tears oh the of grown men that i saw cry is is just outrageous it, like, it, it's not outrageous but like i understand why you were crying but yeah, it was tough. just it was a tough constant. Scene. Yeah, it's it's spring training, especially on like you get to a point in spring training every year. Like it, you don't get you get like maybe a couple releases throughout the year on your team, but not that many, especially at the lower levels. You're not really getting guys from, you know, tr you're not really trading pe for people down at that level where all of a sudden you're getting somebody and someone's got to go. Your rookie balls is released nonstop. Yeah. And you just but it, when you get in spring training at the end of spring training, you know, you, you know, releases are coming. And yeah, they have sweeping cuts in the in 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 all well, the big leagues too. But I mean, you'll come in one day and they'll 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 have taken out fifty guys. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's tough. But then you get to the next, you get to the higher levels. And I I was happy when I got released. <laughs> like yeah. it was just a completely different vibe. And like you're you know, at, at that point, you're an adult. You understand that the business behind it. Like you're not. It's your dreams aren't really in play anymore. You wanted to last longer, but it didn't work out. Like it's it's just it's just a different vibe. Like you know, when I got called in in Seattle, like I got called in, they released me. I was excited because I was like, Jesus, I'm terrible. I I don't want to keep going out there. It was miserable. But like also, I was like, yeah, I, I played in the big leagues a little bit. And, you know, let's see if I can go home and find this. If I can't, move, let's just find something to move on with. And so like, it's just a completely different thing. And again, if you took a Netflix docuseries and you and you watched that, you watched how different releases happened. You know, when you get to that next level, it, it's just a completely different ball game. Like, I was only released once. I got DFA'd uh, twice. Yeah, twice. Uh, but it is. It's it's just a completely different different relationship to the game. Once you get to an older when you get to, when you get to an older level and you know, or the higher higher levels, getting released is just not not as big of a deal anymore. It was like, oh, yeah. okay, all right. Well, let's figure this out now. Um, and you also see these guys. I was, one of the things I always remember about the miners is you'd go into like a random clubhouse, visiting clubhouse. The one I'm thinking of was in Beloit, Wisconsin, and a lot of the places would have like a little wall of fame in there, in there, uh, in the clubhouse of like the guys who had come through. Of course. Uh, and you see, like you see, I remember seeing Mike Trout in like a in this like weird, <laughs> I guess, Angel Burlington Bees. Uh, like uniform, and it's like, damn! Like Mike Trout played at this shithole stadium right here, uh, and I honestly, the minor leagues was is like I have the most of all of my life. I I have the most nostalgia about 
that my time, my four years, five years in the minor leagues, and just traveling around the country and seeing these things and and just like the wildest stories uh, that 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 you get from these like random cities and towns and going shopping at the grocery stores in Great Falls, Montana, and I had to get you know meat for the team, so I had to go to the <laughs> go to the deli counter and order. 12 pounds of, tur- of turkey and the lady was ready to quit on the spot <laughs> like it's just like those you know, kind of 12 things. pounds that day you were doing it all yeah. at 9am we walk up to the deli counter being like oh man these ladies have no idea what's going to hit them and we'd be like yeah can I get a 12 pounds of turkey 4 pounds of American cheese <laughs> and they'd be like are you serious sir and I'm like yeah I understand like this is a tough one I'll sit here and I'll wait for it uh, and then the other the athletic trainer would go around the store and shop for the other, you know, shitty, uh, you know, veggie spread. What was like the staples that you guys had on the on? I gotta imagine they were relatively the same. What would you guys have? Uh, honestly, I don't. I don't really remember. Nature Valley bars. That was a st- automatic. Did yeah. you guys have those the, with the crumbs? It would just every every time you bite one, it's like an explosion of crumbs. Yeah, there. Were, but the thing is, like on the road, our road clubbies would would fill the the stuff well i only had to do once we got to full season the road clubby would do it i was in charge of what what the list would be but in short season the strength coach and the athletic trainer were were in charge of i did two seasons in short season you just did you did one in lowell right full season there yeah i yeah i I think it was a full season there yeah i don't remember though you guys were a money club too, though. Diamondbacks were not, so we might have been like cut. And I remember, I mean, for the whole team, I, we got the first year we had a hundred bucks a day, hundred bucks a day, the whole team for to eat. Uh, and I think it, I think it went up to one hundred and fifty my second year, uh, and then after I think it was two hundred in full season. Uh, but I remember we would always get the same exact thing every game: you peanut butter and jelly, automatic. You get some cold cuts, some bananas. It was like four things of bananas, veggie spread. Fruit platter, you get the fly, the little you know fruit bugs flying around those things all the time, and uh, just be just be gross. Yeah, let's let's bring this full circle, Sean. You talk about having this most nostalgia for that stuff. Yeah, and we talked in the beginning the stuff about how it's you know it's stupid until it isn't. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you talk a lot about you know that, that the minor league sucked. Like I even when I was playing, like the coaches would say, like you guys are gonna, you know, every all the big leaguers, you know, all these guys talk about how much they had the most fun in the minor leagues, and I don't think it's any, it's any coincidence. I, like there's got to be some tie from the sta- from something sucking in nostalgia, and the re- the reason I say that, and it's not so much that it's sucking, it's more of like the the grind to get to the top, because. You know, you think about like Gary Vee's talked about that stuff when he's bringing when he's talking about those videos, and he looks back, and you're like, oh, geez, and like he said in the test, like make sure you save those videos that you're that you feel so stupid doing right now because later on people are going to fucking love them uh, if you ever do end up making it, and it's like you're talking about like the big leagues and that grind. And I remember, I remember playing in Lowell when you're home. You know, and when you're home and you did something, like if you went to um, you signed autographs for like 30 minutes or something like that, you got to get like steak tips and all this other stuff from the thing. Also, if you were seemingly a first rounder, you get to do those things. <laughs> so, but I remember having that and thinking like that was awesome and all these things. But you look, I do, I look back on these things. You you remember the bus rides 
But and you remember how much they suck, but you laugh about it now because it sucks so bad. But during that time, you were not laughing in any capacity. Like that shit, I hated that stuff. So it is interesting how like you know it's everything sucks or everything's stupid until it isn't. And when you're when you're going through this this you know trajectory of like you know when I post on TikTok. I I think way more about what I po- post on Instagram than when I post on TikTok because I know all my buddies are going to see it on bit, on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? I also have way less followers on Instagram than I do on TikTok. So like you start doing these things, you start you start posting to a to a point where like you get to a number it's like, "Wow, oh, well, you know, I remember when we first started TikTok, I just wanted to get to 10,000 followers and then I didn't feel as stupid posting about stuff. When you were posting and you had 300 followers, it was like, "Ah, oh, god." And like how many people you know, have some funny ideas that don't ever post it because it's like, well, that's, I don't know. That's weird. Like, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like, and I, I, it's always funny to me. Like, like I'm talking about the difference right now between business pad and baseball pad and how, like, you know, every, like my Instagram, I just posted an Instagram reel yesterday and, uh, the Instagram, let's see here. The Instagram has, uh, let's see, let's say just about 10 or a little over 10,000 followers, 10,000. Um, it has 35 comments. Okay. I get to this off. It has 35 comments. And, uh, I think 34 of them are talking about, this isn't, this isn't business. And it's like, you know, I hear, you hear a lot of people, I could easily see myself saying, like a little bit down the road, like one of the best things ever made was was say I'm you know baseball Pat's dead, go do business and only post baseball content, because it, I just get flooded with comments constantly when I post baseball, and it, I don't know that it's helping on Instagram. I don't know, you know who the hell knows what how Instagram works, but like you just it just those things happen and like people just con- are coming in, and it's like you know I saw I see this one girl she always pops up in my TikTok algorithm. She's definitely attractive, and that's probably why. But she has posted the same dance in the same location, got to be 70 times, in 70 different outfits. And I sit there sometimes, and I watch it. I probably watch it maybe 60 times. (laughs) But it's like you're posting the same shit, and I bet you she feels stupid too. But, like, you know, she's probably gaining hundreds of thousands of followers. And all just doing this stuff. Like, I, I, there's this one guy. Uh, his name is Curly Fuck on on uh, on it on it's on TikTok. And he originally he's got curly hair, good looking dude. Uh, he, he originally came off as like the bouncer. Uh, he's doing bouncer skits. And then he kind of transitioned into like um, into like he has this one thing. He's like, Every, I wanna party with you, and he does this crazy like dance. Like going back and forth, like a little skits like that, and that's what he was known for. And now, like, and then he he kind of blew up that way, and now he's posting about cooking. And it's like, but like, I'll watch it, but like, and I have no problem going into that new phase of what he wants to do, uh, because he he also with that one guy who's just an outrageous cook. Uh, he always does it with like his shirt off. He says crazy shit. Uh, it's really yeah. It's it's a but he's funny. He's funny as hell. But uh, he just did one with Gordon Ramsay, and Gordon uh, Gordon Ramsay, I think, kind of shit on him. But uh, it's just again interesting, interesting like you know directions. But like you said, like it all starts with that stupid shit that you're posting, and people are like, "Oh, what the hell does this guy know?" 
You know, why is this guy, why, why is he telling me to, you know, eat more carbs? What the fuck does this guy, do? you know, what the hell does he know about the carbs? Uh, and it's, but you, you, you do this stuff, you gain some recognition, you, you show a little bit about what you're doing. Also, gaining followers is part of the resume. You know, if you have more people following you, are like, oh, this guy must know what he's talking about. And you just kind of keep doing that. You get you get a little bit of notoriety. You keep growing. You move on and move forward. And the next thing you know, you know, you're you're somebody. And now people are listening to you. Now people want to give you money to to go tell them what to do because of what you are. You become you know maybe not as big as Tony Robbins or Gary Vaynerchuk or, or what have you, but you know you become like I, I was just reading Sahil Bloom quotes this morning, and he's talking about another you know another story or another fable, uh, and. <laughs> I'm the singer. Like I like I love Sahil. I told you we just went to dinner, you know, a couple weeks back. Great dude. A lot of these fables are over my head, and I had no idea what the hell they are. Um, but he is, you know, this is that's the kind of content he's going for, and what he what he's shooting for, and what who he talks to. And like he said, you know, you got to post more on LinkedIn, Pat. Now I'm hearing about LinkedIn. It's it's such an interesting world, the social media landscape, and and you know from I, I look back on a lot of the funny and again talk about nostalgia. I look a lot, I look back on a lot of the stuff that we did, you know, coming up. We always like me and you probably don't laugh harder than when we talk about Comment City. <laughs> and <laughs> gotta whip me up mm, some of those. These look delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to whip me up some of these. <laughs> and it's so funny because you look back and it was kind of cringe. Yeah, like you really <laughs> like Sean, tell the story. Wrap up this podcast by telling the story of how one of your NBA players caught you. Oh, jeez! All right, so the bad. Oh, this was this was the most embarrassed I've ever been, <laughs> as maybe as a human being. I was me and Patrick. The background is me and Patrick were like trying to like grow on social media, and Gary V talked about this thing. He called it the dollar eighty strategy, and basically you go on to. 90 posts a day on Instagram and you just leave your two cents. That was the idea. And it adds up to a dollar eighty. Uh, and so like we would comment, we'd just go on, we would find these pro pictures and we would just leave a comment. Uh, and you know, and that, and the, you get, you get a lot of followers from doing, at least you did back in the day, you get a lot of followers doing that. And at the point where like you're doing 90 of these a day. So you're, you know, you're leaving real, bullshit on some of these on some of these uh <laughs> on some of these profiles so like me and Patrick were like exploring the different hashtags that would work and like Patrick like yeah I'm like killing it on these baseball hashtags like I'm getting a ton of followers like people are loving it and I was the strength coach of the Lakers at the time so I I was like I you won't believe this not surprisingly Lakers hashtag is killing it so like I would go on there and like like after after games like people would be like at the Lakers game uh, and they'd like post a picture, like, you know how they do it, like, right, you know, all their buddies, like the court in the background, you know, like, great, we had a great game, great win for the Lakers, for the Lake Show last night. And I would comment on the post, like, hey, thanks for coming to the game. Like, it was like, I hope you come back soon. Like, great win for the boys or some stupid shit. Uh, and I would just do that. I would be on the plane after games, flying to another city. I'd be like hitting them because I was like, I got to get them while they're hot, you know, and, and people would, were excited. They were like, damn, the strength coach just commented, like, that's sick. And I got a lot of followers doing it. And one day, I'm in the weight room of Staples Center before the game, you know, doing my work. And Ivica Zubats, who is a rookie, seven-foot Croatian guy, uh, walks into the weight room with his phone in his hand. And he walks over to me. He walks over to me. 
and he holds his phone up, shows it to me, and he goes, Hey, Slight, is this how you get followers? And I looked up, and it was a post <laughs> that I had commented on. Great move of the boys. It, yeah, it was the cringiest post imaginable. I was like, thanks for coming to the game. You guys look great. You know, the guy, the guy, you know, the boys played hard last night. Can't wait for the next one or some stupid shit like that. And I saw this and I, I was mortified. Like I just, I'm not, I know him and Larry Nance were really tight. So I know that they had to be like laughing about this over in the locker room. They're probably passing the phone around to all the guys. Like, hey guys, look at Sean, look what Sean's doing. And I mean, I quickly, quickly like saved myself. And I was just like, hey, you know, we're not all seven foot NBA superstars. This is, you know, some of us have to put in a little extra effort to grow. And it was a good, it was a good response. But I mean, I can only imagine how red my face was. And it was just, it was just so brutal uh, having to confront that situation. And I mean, it was inevitable, you know, he was going to do it. And I'm sure, I'm sure many people have you know, you know, wondered what we were doing behind our backs. But uh, the interesting thing about about all of that stuff and cringiness and the hard times is human beings have this weird thing that when you look back on anything that was tough or something that you did that you didn't want to do 10 years from now, they always say that it was the best thing they ever did. And I've always thought about that, like in the moment where I will likely think that this was the best thing I ever did. Like everybody talks about like breakups and uh, and you know, like getting fired from their job, and inevitably, you the human being finds a way to turn that into the best thing that ever happened to them, whether they're lying about it or not. Like that, the, you know, that's 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 how it works. And uh, you just ever and truly, everything is stupid and cringy and annoying and sucky and embarrassing until it's not, and then all of a sudden, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah and also, so you guys know. Uh, I, me and Sean pretty much attribute all of our Instagram growth to that uh, yeah. that, that method. And I actually just saw a TikTok recently talking about this is something that people don't understand. You, you can this is the, the biggest way to grow on Instagram right now is to just leave a comment on people's pages. You're definitely not posting on people's pages. <laughs> posting <laughs> is a good way to hemorrhage your followers. <laughs> but <clears throat> it's very true. And one of the, my biggest motivations. Um, looking back, because you talk about feeling awkward, you feel you talk about uh, feeling uncomfortable about what you were doing and, and embarrassing, because you go through all these possibly fake scenarios in your head that Larry Nance and Zubak. By the way, Zubak looks at every single one of my Instagram stories. Shout out! To I Zubak. know he is. He's same with me, man. He's yeah. right up at the top. Yep. And so, well, no wonder he, no wonder he caught me on, <laughs> on Comment City. He can't get off his phone. So you know, shout out Zubak. But you know, he, 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 he may never have told anybody. They went and came in, said made fun of you, then put his phone down and went back to work and, and did nothing. And no one ever knew. But like he, Yeah, he, we make it out like he made like a present PowerPoint presentation in front of the team. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. And you, you, you just uh, the thing that I want I tell you, one of my biggest motivations though, uh, is um, proving a lot of the guys in baseball wrong for mm. what I because I got a lot of heat. And I got a lot of heat in Pittman Pittsburgh. I got a lot of heat in Seattle. I got a lot of unfollows from former teammates thinking that I was that it was stupid. And what I was doing, and you know, one guy that always stuck with me, a guy Christian Bergman, uh, me and him still talking. He's he's getting bigger in real estate out in Arizona. Uh, we want to do some work together, and you know, I had a, I told you I had a former teammate reach out to me wanting to invest with me. Uh, he was he this guy uh, was awesome. You know, he was never one of the guys making fun of me, but like I would you know, I am a vindictive fuck sometimes, 
and you know, so one of, I would always be nice, or maybe just never answer. But if like one of the, some of the guys that I knew that kind of looked down on what I did and, and stuff and stuff like that, they ever reached out trying to get help and stuff like that. You know, I would I would relish, absolutely relish in that, and look back and be like, you know, I put myself through bullshit. And for you to look down on me and what I was trying to do. And that's another thing. Why, anyone trying to grow in their life, why would you ever look down on them? Like, they might not be doing it. Yeah, especially when you're not fucking doing anything. Like, what are you doing? Are you trying to grow? Like, I had this, I had this one liquor rep recently reach out to me. A uh, really nice uh, woman. Very nice lady. Uh, and, she, you know, she was, we had met uh, through a liquor company that they were trying to pitch me. Uh, I never took it, but they, she left the company and re, you know, we followed each other on Instagram and she reached out saying, you know, I, I love what you're doing. Like, you know, I'm trying to do, I have a few side hustles you know, I, I'm a single mother, like all this stuff, like trying to, like, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing. I was like, you know, that's great. You know, a lot of the stuff you post, people might be making fun of you for, but like, at least you're giving it the gold college try to grow, to grow and get bigger. And, you know, I, I would never look down upon someone doing, you know, if they keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, I'd be like, come on, let's, let's, let's adapt here. But, you know, it is, it's, it's always interesting to me how people like that, you know, never gave it a go, never realized how difficult it is to post something on Instagram. I remember talking to one of my, 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 um, my uh, business partners, and they were talking about how they can't stand this one guy that was posting all the time. And I was like, you just can't post. And then our social strategy for one of those restaurants was uh, post once a day, maybe maybe twice a week. And I was like, I was like, let me just ask you this. I was like, I'm fine with that. Like, you post whatever the hell you want. I'm kind of new to this Instagram world anyway, but post whatever they want. But let me ask you this: You follow Barstool Sports, don't you? He's like, yeah. I go today. They posted 17 times, and it was like 6 p.m. I go, I bet you they got a few more coming. I go, but you like their content. There is no such thing as a shortage of good content, as which Gary said once. And it's like, if they posted good stuff, you'd like it. But a lot of people, the only way they're going to find out what the good stuff is, is by posting shit first. Like, and you just got to doubt, okay, this is what people are liking. I'm going to go with this. Let's go with this until it stops working and adapt and keep doing it. I think one of the best things in baseball they were talking about, um, they talk about heat-seeking missiles. And... The last thing the the missile does is the correct thing, but they the it's a bunch of failures in correcting course until then. Unless the target obviously is standing still, but they're obviously it's a lot of times it's going for like a jet that's moving right. So it's like failure, 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 failure. Boom! It hits the target, but it constantly failed until then and had to correct course. So like you see people posting and and doing shit. How many times did we hear the stories when we watched these? I mean, we've been on social forever, Sean. So how many times did you hear the story where I was like, I had like 500 very loyal followers. And then next thing you know, one thing hit and I became huge. Yeah. And I just, just never a, stopped. I just heard a story about a guy who was posting on YouTube for like three years and he could never get above like 11 views or something like that. And he just kept going and he kept going. And he kept posting. And he kept posting. And he was like, he was like, like he finally had enough. He was like, "Man, this sucks." Like I, like no, I can't. I, it's, it's not going to work. So he stopped posting, and he was like posting like every Tuesday or something for five years. Uh, and he, you know, came back. He, he skipped a Tuesday because he was like, "I'm done with this bullshit." Uh, and he came back to his YouTube account a couple days later, and he had a message, and it was from Oprah, because Oprah was one of the eleven 
who would watch him every Tuesday. And uh, he obviously was shocked and she invited him like to, you know, come to wherever she was. And, uh, and she offered him a job as like a host for a TV show on O network or own or something oxygen. I don't know what, whatever what I know she has a TV network, but it's one that apparently he's a host on that show like today. And I was like, wow, like you really never know. Like I was, I was looking at my Instagram yesterday and I posted, uh, a, uh, a story and you know how we always bitch about it. Like these guys, like they never show it to our, I have 5,000 followers. They show it to 136 people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's so crazy. But who are the 136 people? Like, 136 people you put them in a room like it's a lot of people yeah. who's a, who are they like like you re, you got to imagine that famous people have come across our content like really like movers and shakers uh and but it's you know it's it's hard it's just so hard to see it yeah it, it, i mean it's uh yeah i think we've said this the past couple episodes you know seeing the forest through the trees right like, yeah. it's just you just don't you just sometimes it's hard to see the big picture and that's why you know i was talking to my videographer that i bring everywhere you know, I, I, like you say, he doesn't feel stupid. And again, we can wrap it up here. I was just talking to a few few uh, friends I had down in Miami with me, and I got two videos that I'll probably release uh, coming from that trip. And you know, they're like, "What the hell are you doing? And why why are you doing this?" And I was like, "Honestly, guys, this is it." And I said, "It's stupid until it isn't." It's like, how am I supposed to get to where it's not stupid anymore unless I post things? I can't. I can't just get. Like I could maybe just get there if if something like hits massively in my life and somehow all the news people are covering it. But like the odds of that are super slim. But if you keep posting and growing slowly but surely, you hit the algorithm a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. Grow twenty, grow thirty, grow forty, grow sixty, and next thing you know, you have one that's huge. It's massive. But you got to get to that point, and you never know what's going to hit. So I was like, you just got to, you just got to do it. Like you gotta, you know, when I come out of the car, you know, at Carbone in Miami and it looks like I'm getting filmed getting out of the car because that's the angle that my videographer has that, but there's no, there's no other, there's no like the paparazzi out there. Like it's just this guy and it's, but it's, it is good high quality video and Carbone was awesome, but you know, it is, it's just like, you just got to do things and you just got to keep doing it. And that's what I told the guy when I was in Miami. He's like, why'd you fly me down here to do this? Who knows what we're going to get? I go, because the only way I've ever been successful when doing anything is by just doing and not sitting around and thinking about it the whole time and just constantly doing it. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen. But eventually, as long as you pay attention, you don't just do to do, but you actually pay attention to what's working, what's not working. Uh, and, you, you try to you try to figure out the best you can. And then next thing you know, I mean, Dave Portnoy, if you go back to Dave Portnoy's videos, the guy looked like a moron back in the day. And now you look at him and he's like, he, he's like a successful businessman dressed in suits. You respect his opinion on a lot of things. Like he's you know, well-spoken. But, you know, he does say some things that he may not agree with because there's always the, the Barcelona haters in the world, the Barcelona, the Bar- I guess the stoolies, so, you know, quote unquote, but... Like, he was running a 40-yard dash back in the day at, like, seven seconds. It looked like uh, he was fat, out of shape, with a headband on. And now you look at him, and you're like, this guy, this guy's legit. This guy's a stud. That's a good point. You know? So you just... Could you imagine how hard he was getting made fun of for that? Oh, my God. The guy, his friends back in high school, he's handing out newspapers yeah. by the subway station yeah, in, they in Boston. Yeah, destroying this guy. Yes. And now he, he just... He probably, I think he just sold for a couple hundred million dollars. Oops. It's like... Yeah, exactly. And now every, all of his high school buddies want to know him, want to talk to him. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's just 
people just don't you just gotta if you want that lifestyle you just gotta start doing things there's a price you to just pay gotta figure it out the way it goes yep there's a price to pay for everything so anyway guys i gotta get going because i gotta hit the fucking gym and i also need to because i got a lot going on this afternoon this morning but Appreciate everyone who tuned in. I did not look at the Twitter spaces at all to see. I saw a few people in here throughout the time, but appreciate everyone taking a listen. Enjoy your weekend, uh, wherever you may be. And until next time, guys, we will see you later. Sorry, we're closed.